Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I am your guest host for the sick Chris McDaniel, <laughs> Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. Joining me in studio today is... Rachel Lipman, pinch hitting for Chris McDaniel, St. Louis Public Radio. And... Joe Manis of the St. Louis Beacon. And our very special guest today... Lewis Reed, president of the Board of Aldermen. Now, I must say for our listeners, you are the second president to be on our show. We had President Pro Tem Tom Dempsey, but uh, you're... Of the state senate. Of the state, state senate, senate. But we're always glad to have presidential <laughs> talent you know, on the show. I wouldn't put a lot of stake in that president. <laughs> but that was going to be my, my first question to you. Uh-huh. I want you to just tell our listeners kind of what the Board of Aldermen president does, what their responsibilities are, and kind of their function within St. Louis city government. Well, Jason, as the president of the Board of Aldermen, you are the head of the legislative branch of city government. You preside over all of the Board of Aldermen meetings, and they meet every Friday at 10 o'clock. You also sit on the Board of ENA. So, you know, in this case, you know, you get an opportunity to really weigh in on on the executive branch also through the Board of ENA. Uh, you sit on the East-West Gateway Coordinating Council. You sit on the Airport Commission and a number of things like that. You appoint all members of the Board of Aldermen to the committees. And by the nature of being the president of the Board of Aldermen, you also have a seat on every committee. So you can uh, you can vote on every committee if you'd like. You also, um, you know, you can introduce bills and, you know, so on and so forth. So in a, in a nutshell, that's, that, that kind of gives you a... And we appreciate your succinct explanation of the office because I think it's important for our listeners to know. But I wanted to just all our listeners also to know a little bit more about yourself. And now you do have a deep, dark secret. You are from Illinois, (laughs) sort of like me. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Went to Juliet Central. (laughs) So so high school you go to. (laughs) I went to Stevenson High School, which is a suburban hoity-toity school. So how did you end up in St. Louis? Well, I I ended up in St. Louis. I was a wrestler in high school and everything, and I had a wrestling scholarship to SIUE. Uh, and at the time, Larry Kristoff was the uh, was the one of the coaches on the Olympic team. So I had a choice to come here to go to Notre Dame, a few other schools. So it was and either here University or the Olympics, Min- University of Minnesota. <laughs> so, so I said I, I so I came to St. Louis, and I've enjoyed it and been here ever since. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, started a small, you know, construction business development company, worked for McBride and Son for a number of years and on development issues around the city, things of that nature. Uh, and then got an opportunity to go into my profession when I went to work for SSM Health Businesses. And I managed their wide area and local area network groups at all their hospitals across the U.S. Uh, and really enjoyed that job. Now, so when did you first get elected? Because you were first an alderman. Yes, I was an alderman of the Sixth Ward. I was elected in 1999. It seems like a long time ago now, but... Uh, I was 13 years old. Yeah, 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, can't figure out the math. Yeah, 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 Maybe yeah, 16? Yeah, yeah. Let's, not, let's not embarrass Let's not go there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're making me feel old. But, uh, you know... And you, you feel old. Yeah, yeah. And the, and, Experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing I think that drew me to uh, to uh, elected office was, you know, when I... And I, in my previous life, working to try to help, you know, you know, put together development deals and get things moving through the city, it was very difficult uh, from a business perspective, right? 
So, you know, the office came open in the sixth ward, and, you know, I said, hey, my wife actually pushed me to the front and said, why don't you run? I said, no, I don't think so. Eventually I said, all right, I'll do it. And I ran because I wanted to get in and try to help get some of these things done. You know, never in my wildest dreams, I think, well, 13, 14 years later, you know, that would be, uh, you know, what I've committed full time to doing. Now, when did you first become president of the Board of Aldermen? Became president of the Board of Aldermen, I guess, uh, eight years ago. Yes, you were elected. 2007. You defeated defeated 16th Ward resident Jim Shrewsbury. I always got to give a shout out to the 16th Ward. Well, he wasn't. I mean, he was more than a resident. Obviously, he was a citywide official. But that was a, I mean, I, I, I noted this in my profile of you earlier. That was a race that a lot of people did think that you were going to win. You were yeah. kind of running from behind, didn't have as many endorsements. Absolutely. What do you think put you over the top in that contest? I think uh, we had a very focused and targeted campaign. We were able to, you know, sometimes the, the bigger those the campaigns get, the more difficult it gets to, you know, stay on message and really, you know, have an opportunity to connect with the voters and really truly get them to understand what you're about and what you're trying to deliver and what what it is. Uh, and, you know, in this last election, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think we were able to do that. Yeah, for mayor. Yeah, well, you kind of segued perfectly into that because okay. I covered the mayor's race. Um, we all did. We all did. We all did. We all did. So, um, so you want to talk a little bit about what you learned. I mean, we don't yeah. want to replay the race, but talk about what you learned from that, especially now that you're going to be running for re-election as uh, aldermanic president in a couple of years. Yeah, and thanks for saying, you, you know, we don't want to relive it. I certainly, for one, well, <laughs> people can read was, my it was, it was, pe- it was, People can read all of our stories or listen to them. Yeah. They don't have to go. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I think I learned from from that race, amongst a lot of things, was, uh, was you know, some uh, – it was very, very difficult to get – you know, my real true message out, who who I am, what I stand for, uh, and what my beliefs are, right? And like I said, running for president, we were able to do that. Running for mayor, it was a lot more difficult to do that because we were operating from such a huge deficit. Our opponent had $3.7 million. We ended up putting together $700,000. And it um, it made it made it very difficult to get our message out. I think that was the first thing. Um uh and uh you know you know organization is absolutely everything going into it and the thing that 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 i think i always take away from those things and when when uh, you know you know and i don't know how other elected officials feel about it but for me when you go through those campaigns and stuff i always feel so bad you know because you feel like you've let so many people down because you go through the city and stuff and you meet people, they talk to you about the things that are important to them, and you hope to be able to have an opportunity to change their lives in a significant manner. And, and uh, you know, that's the one thing that that's, for me, is, is, is uh, really hard to get over, which is why when I became president of the Board of Aldermen, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're either the mayor, the comptroller, or president of the Board of Aldermen, you automatically get a car. Right, because you're on the board of estimate and apportionment for the listeners, just so they know. Yeah, you get a car, and you get a gas car, right? So I ran, won, became president of the Board of Aldermen, come to my office, like a week into my office. Secretary had a credit card and set of keys that uh, the 
uh, the supply commissioner said, this is your car, it's parked in whatever spot. Went out there, took a look at, you know, for the listeners and everybody, I ride a bike because, you know, it's the healthy part of it and, you know, the also carbon emissions and stuff. So I, ride, I get in the car, drive it for, you know, a couple weeks, home, back, home, back, home, back and stuff. Then this big article comes out that, uh, you know, president of the board of aldermen has a car with luxury with a luxury package on it, right? And I remember looking at those headlines and thinking, my God, can you imagine, you know, being a voter on the other side or somebody that has, you know, put everything on the line and, and talked to their neighbors and everything and said, I want to go out and you should support this person. And then two to three weeks into that, they read headlines that now you're rolling around in, in, a, in a car with, with heated steering wheel on and and it just for me it just hurt me so deeply because I said you know I don't want I don't want them to feel like you know that that's what I've done, so you know I turned around and gave the car back and gave the uh, gave the keys credit card and everything back. They said sure you don't want it. No, I don't want it. But there wasn't anything special about that car. I mean it was the standard car that the city has, but you know I just happened to be just happened to be my turn in the barrel. Uh, so you know some of those things when you're when you're in politics are things that um, that I guess uh, for me uh, are, are life changing. You begin <laughs> to look at it different. How do you think the experience of, of running against the mayor that you now have to work with as president of the board of aldermen does that change how the board functions or, or how you approach your role now as president of the board? Uh, for me, it for me it doesn't. I'm sure for 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 him it probably does because you know the way I the way I look at it is you know uh, you know there were a number of things that that you know I would have done differently you know in the race but but uh, you know in that role and there's a number of things I would do differently today also in that role um, but but what's important I think for all of us you know if you're going to be an elected official. When you go to the table, you cannot look at it just as me against him or me, because you will never get anywhere. We'll be just like Congress, absolutely deadlocked. But if it's if it's an issue and it's something that's good for the city, it's good for the constituency, we should support it and we should move it. It should not matter who's on the other end, of, on the other side of the table, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and but if it's something that's bad for the city and bad for the constituency. I think you have an obligation to speak up and say, "No, this isn't good." Now, uh, the, la- the the you know the first point I raised was one that was used against me in the race uh, for mayor because Francis Slay said everywhere he went, he said he supported most of the things that I've I've done. Right, and when you look at that on his face, it it it, it is a it's a good political issue. It makes for a good sound bite, and it's it's crisp and it's clean, and people get it. Uh, but, but you know, that's what you should do. If it's something that's important, if something that's good, if something that's good for the residents and the people, you mm-hmm. should support it, mm-hmm. no matter who's carrying it. It shouldn't be about the person that's carrying it. Did you sense the, the dynamics in the board change at all and oh, different absolutely. factions and stuff start to kind of d- – does that affect the way that the city's now being governed legislatively? I think, uh, like, for example, um, you know uh, – you know, I think that there are, you know, are, you know, 
handful of people, not a lot of people on the board, but there are, you know, and Rachel and you guys all know it because you're down there. there right. And just for four or five. Yeah, yeah, just for our listeners, it's an all-Democratic board except for Scott Ogilvy. But there yeah. are – it is factionalized. There yes. are people who, for example, are closer to you. There are people who are closer to the mayor. And while a lot of it gets kind of simplified as white-black or something, yeah. it's, it's not, 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 it's not, not nearly like that because exactly. there, are, there are African-American aldermen who are closer to the mayor. There are white aldermen who are closer to you. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, th- thanks for, for raising that, Jason, too. But, the, uh, you know, yes, the board, the board, the dynamics of the board have indeed changed because now you have, a, you know, two or three people that feel that that is absolutely in their best interest to do to proceed kind of like, uh, you know, the, the House and the Senate, you know, the U.S. House, when you have the Democrats and Republicans, that they need to oppose anything that I do, no matter what it is. Right. But but again, it's not the board at large. It's, it's you know, three or four members that that will spend every waking hour to make sure that they oppose those things. Uh, because that's the politics that they're engaged in now. And the challenge for me on my side is is to recognize that, but but don't 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 get tempted and go down that rabbit hole and and get get goaded into these these senseless fights because then we're just absolutely stagnated. So what that ends up looking like is uh, you know somebody may sucker punch me, all right? You sucker punch me, and then the next day is something that's good that we need to get past, and they're mm-hmm. the person that's carrying it. So I have two choices. I can sucker punch them back or i can say well you know what this thing is good for the city it's good for the residents let's get it passed i'm gonna help you get it passed Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. been the dynamic uh and um you know in politics a lot of people would look at that and say you don't want to proceed that way because it makes you look weak Mm -hmm. because you know people when they're looking at strength and power they say well you know it's better that you look strong and and if somebody sucker punches you you have to trot them out in the middle of town square and stone them. And let's not and do I'd that. Probably, yeah. That's probably, that's probably, that's probably let's, not that. We don't have a town square anymore. We don't have a town square. Yeah, let's, let's go to kind of some more specifics because one of the things that has been in the news is kind of a, a power struggle of sorts on the ENA about contracts, which is kind of in this larger context of whether the mayor should have more or less power. Nick Pister of the Post-Dispatch wrote an article about this, and Joe has been following this issue for, for, for years. close to 40 years. So I'll hand it off to Joe. <laughs> okay, I just want to say one thing, because I covered City Hall from 1978 to 81, which is when most of our listeners and most of the people Before in the room we were, were not alive. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And then the obligation. <laughs> okay, but... I was, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was a young reporter then. Yeah. I was young. But my point is, is that ENA all the way back then, was always combative. And without boring people with too many stories, I covered ENA when the mayor was um, Jim Conway, the board of aldermen president was Paul Simon, and the comptroller was Ray Persich. And, oh, and you could hear them <laughs> shouting at each other from in the – you could be outside the mayor's office in that hallway there mm-hmm. through the two sets of double doors and that big lobby – you could hear them shouting. So I don't even know if there's shouting matches that go on in ENA now. And, and there was, <laughs> and there was always, there was always cool. maneuverings. And one little quick thing is that Ray Persich had gallbladder. I'll never forget this. He had gallbladder surgery, but he kept it as 
secret from the mayor because he didn't want them to know because he was afraid they would call an ENA meeting <laughs> while he was in the hospital. Yeah. And but, there's only three members of the committee, so two is still correct, the majority. Because ENA, well, they did call a meeting. And Persich, I had seen Persich the day before the surgery because he had told me that he was, uh, but I had to, he was just telling me as a reporter so that I knew in case there was an EMA meeting called, he was going to get there. Well, there was an EMA meeting called and there was a big deal where Persich is, at least he wasn't in his hospital gown, (laughs) but he's like barely walking all the way down the hall from the comptroller's office to the mayor's office to make the ENA meeting. All the TV cameras are there. It's like this huge deal. I don't remember what the topic was, but he wanted to make sure he was there for a vote. My 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 point being there is, is a that, point here that, <laughs> is that there was always fights like this when Vince Shamel was mayor. He when Vervis Jones was comptroller, the fights were legendary. My point being that this has been going on for a long time. So my question yeah. for you is because this has kind of been this has kind of been you know burst open because of this Veolia contract situation. Yes. And it seemed like, you know, you were opposed to that yeah. uh, that particular contract. The comptroller had concerns two to one against the mayor. That was pretty much the issue on that point. But now it, it appears he wants to kind of make contracting out of that process and, and maybe make the office stronger or something. At like least that. for that particular contract that was the move he tried to make. So is this something that's going to happen more broadly or is this just the one time they really wanted this Veolia contract? You know, I think that, you know, he has been very clear about the fact that this is going to be the the new norm for him. He's going to go around ENA. He is not going to bring contracts to uh, the board of ENA. And I think that that's problematic on a number of different levels. Uh, when you look at what happened in the Veolia water deal, and that's the one we need to look at because that's the only example that we have today. Uh, in that Veolia water deal, you know, every I couldn't find anybody in the city that says, yes, I'm, I'm okay with paying four times the cost for money, water. I'm okay with, with Veolia. And I, I, just didn't, I just didn't find that. Uh, but, you know, you know, you know, but it was, for whatever reason, it was a push from the administration to get this thing done, right? When they when they could not get it done through the Board of ENA, and what the Board of ENA did allow to happen was for citizen input. Because if the Board of ENA wasn't there, that thing would have come through, it would have been signed, you wouldn't know, nobody in the city would know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we'd find out, you know, Years down the line, when we started getting you know higher uh, you know uh, you know bills in the mail and stuff, we we would have to backtrack and find out what happened. So that allowed for the citizen input. It allowed us to engage. It allowed uh, the media and people to know what was going on. Um, but the the workaround was for them to take what what uh, the, what the judge called a bald b a l d bald. Appropriation, appropriation lacking specificity, right? And when when they when they took a bald appropriation that that came through uh, the water department and said, with buried within that appropriation was the contract amount for Veolia Water. Right. I think that they yeah. stepped way over the line. Yeah. So, what do you think will happen now? Do you think that this 
ENA process is going to be weakened to some extent, or do you think it's going to fall into the, the trap gonna... <laughs> where you know they try to weaken it, yeah. but it doesn't really amount to very much? I think I think that they're going to try to weaken it. We're going to land in court. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, the mayor is feeling you know very very powerful right now. He's feeling like you know, okay, you know, I'm raising one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a quarter. Um, you well, know, he is the longest-serving mayor in longest St. Louis. Mayor in the history. history of the city, and all these things. So he's saying, you know, the things that 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 uh, that other people would have to have to work around, or you know, laws and stuff like that. I, that that stuff doesn't is not on my spectrum. I'm a, I'm my cha- I'm going to change it, and I'm going to I'm going to work through whatever I have to whatever I have to do to change the thing. I don't think anything will stop them except for when we land in court challenging it. So I wanted to talk about a tangible power shift because right. Nick's article was very interesting and good, but it didn't really touch on one thing where it was an actual example of the mayor having more power, and that's federal community development block grants. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to bore listeners with the details. If you want to read it, go on stlbeacon.org, go on stlpublicradio.org. And I've got a tip in my hand to Jason. He was the one that laid it out to be able to put it on our, yeah. our it's, website. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated situation, but <laughs> the long and short of it is HUD basically came in. They said the way that the, these federal block grants were being distributed had to change, and it changed basically from going by ward to this situation where CDA, I guess it's Community Development Agency, Agency yes, yeah. which is under the guise of the mayor, is essentially controlling the process and whatnot. Yeah. And I had talked with you kind of off the cuff about it. You had had some concerns about the way it was going on, and a lot of aldermen from all different factions and you know ages and whatever had concerns over it. What was kind of your takeaway from that process? My takeaway was this. You know, uh, I think we can find some efficiencies in the process. The, you know, uh, I think that, number one, we need to make sure we engage the residents in, in, in the discussions of this. I mean, we have not. That just never happened in this first part of the process. I think we need to make sure that we factor in the concerns of some of these residents and some of the older people. And it would be nice to have to have had some transitional period. And I tell you why, because when I was the alderman of the Sixth Ward, we came together as a community. We play, passed a uh, you know development plan and all this other stuff. And then it took us several years getting fifty thousand dollars a year, hundred thousand, eighty thousand, you know what to hobble together the money we needed to do that project over a number of years. And, um, you know, a lot of those projects that all across the city that were important to the residents within that community that would strengthen their neighborhoods and community, those things were just kind of tossed aside. And I think that you saw some of that frustration play out, you know, on the floor and in committee. Well, this is another case where this has been going back decades. And in fact, in the late 70s, when this, the city used to get three times the amount of black grant money that it gets now, uh, roughly $40 million, and that's in late 1970 dollars, which is probably about $60 million now. Yes. Yeah. Um, there was a big fight over whether or not the CDA mayor's office controlled all of it or if the Board of Aldermen should allocate it by wards. And this fight was replayed a number of times where some years the, it would be divided up at least part of it by wards, and then they would save some for CDA to have oversight. So what's happening now is really something similar, but it, but in reverse exactly. uh, to yeah. what had happened in the late 70s and early 80s when they switched it from CDA having total control to the money starting at least a good portion of it. 
being allocated ward by ward. Nothing yeah. is ever dead in politics. But, yeah, That's but right. You know, one, yes, of, one of the things like uh, here, here's an example. Here's when I say there's room for improvement in every corner of the thing, whether it's on the ward level, whether it's in administration. And anything. Because but but I just want to just want to point this out. The reason why HUD forced this change is they said that there were numerous problems with doing it by by the ward level in yeah. inefficiencies and not spending money or whatnot. So I want yeah. to get their perspective out there. But continue. Yeah. And, and what they pointed to, they said, OK, we look at the investment over time. How much have we invested, HUD, the federal government? How much have we put out there? And what has been our return on it? Right. So that's what HUD looked at to say, OK, you know, this is either working or not working. Then HUD gave the city, they gave us an opportunity to just go in and, and, and sculpt a program that we felt would work, right? But part of, the, part of the challenge in the, you know, whether, you know, in the operations of the old program, it was this. You know, there weren't, were never any, um, you know, any guidelines or whatever put in place that would, that would prevent things from happening that shouldn't have happened. Here's an example. The the uh, the lobbyist for the Board of Aldermen, the, the, the mayor's lobbyist, right, was the person that they put over the distribution of black grant funds. So if they needed a bill passed, that lobbyist would come to an older person and say, hey, I need your vote on X, Y, or Z. By the way, next week, what time do you want to meet to talk about block grant funding? They shift. So, I mean, but, you know, when you, when you begin to look at that dynamic, is that a, is that a good thing? That was it a quid pro quo or was this implied this, quid pro quo? I, I, I'm just going to leave okay. that as, as, <laughs> as it is. But, but, but see, when, you, when we look at structuring a program, we need to structure a program that works that, so that no matter who's in office, no matter who's engaged in it, that there are checks and balances and the thing just works, right? And I don't think that we're there that yet because because those types of things can still happen, right? And at the end of the day, the, it's, the, it's the taxpayers that pay the ultimate price for that. Mm-hmm. And then there has always been a problem with spending the money. So you'd see it on paper, and it would be very difficult to get down to the point where you can actually – Make a transaction and spend that money, and get that money applied to a project. So, so those are some of the things in the old program. Do you think it'll be better next year when people have been able Absolutely. to acclimate yes. themselves more? Yes, yes. On, I, think on a, I think we're he- I think we're heading to to a better ground again. On kind of a, the the macro level, we're hearing Joe say all these stories about there being always this constant tension, and it's you know gone back probably even before she started covering. Right. I mean, fundamentally. It, is that ever going to to change, or is this just kind of one more round of this kind of ongoing tension that you're going to have? Is there anything different about this particular round, if you will? I, is that for me? Or? Yeah, that's go for ahead. You. Yeah, that's yeah, for yeah. you. I, I think that you know, and I talk to people about the legislative process and things all the time. I think that all that stuff is healthy. I don't think that there's anything wrong with disagreement. I don't think that there's anything wrong with. You know, a you know very tough debate. You tell me where you stand, I'll tell you where I stand, and then let's figure out what how we can get to a ground that works for everybody. Because if we begin to back away from that, if we begin to say, well, you know, I just want to get along, so whatever you say, we do, then there's somebody that's left left out of the picture, right? I think it's important to just put it all out there, and you know, you can hear from some of Joe's stories that these things are circular. And it's I, on I a continuum, for yeah, sure. I well, don't see we, but as long as we, right. at the end of the day, the process isn't broken so much so that we cannot get to a decision point. 
Well, I would argue that probably um, this vigorous debate, a.k.a. Uh, uh, discussion, fights, whatever, is probably endemic to the St. Louis makeup because when you have basically the city is governed by this three-person board on the St. Louis Board of All, I mean the Board of Estimate and Apportionment, who who covers all the governs all the fiscal stuff. So any anything major has to go through ENA. When you have a three-person triumvirate, I mean it's like Rome, you know, thousands <laughs> of years ago. Well, I wasn't that. around then, but my point being no, that she was not around, <laughs> she wasn't around. Rome, guys. <laughs> but my point being is that you're going to have that. The only way you get around it is if you have one strong leader. And there are many who would say, well, is that better? I mean, or worse? Well, look at St. Louis County. That's an example where you have a strong executive who has absolute authority over the budget and pretty much controls everything. And not everybody's happy with the way that's going. Right, right. So the point being that there's good and bad about both processes. So yeah. we have about 10, 15 minutes left. I wanted to get into a hot topic that's been in the news. City, county, merger. I guess it's been the news for 120, 130 years now. <laughs> but it kind of came to the forefront this week after this Better Together group kind of came forward as yeah. a means to study and talk about the possibility of reentry or merger. Now, when I was talking with you earlier in February, you were pretty explicit that if we were going to talk about any situation, there had to be public input, public output research. Is this, in your opinion, adequate, what is going on with Better Together? You know, I think it's too early to tell. I think that the I think it is a good first step to begin to engage the public in a, in a discussion, right? Because uh, we absolutely have to involve the stakeholders in something as big as a city-county merger. But the other thing that I continue to say is I think we need to look at the – if we really, truly want to get this thing done, we have to do it in bite-sized chunks. We have to look at uh, whatever those, that low-hanging fruit is, if it's you know the police department or whatever it is, uh, and begin to – Work out some structural things and and some some you know inter you know intra or inter you know uh, you know the you know county city county agreements so that uh, so that we can then measure and then show some successes through those things. If we're not measuring, if we can't take it back and show the residents and can people the city of St. Louis, look what has come out of this, then then. Then, uh, then you know, I think it's going to be lost. But that's how we soften the beach here. That's mm-hmm. how we begin to get people on board. I think if we just go full bore, I think there's going to be a problem long term. Now, this is kind of an out there question, but it does involve the city-county merger situation. Um, I asked the mayor this question. I'll ask you. Do you think that the discussion of this will or should include the future of the earnings tax? I mean, part, of, it, part of it's political yeah. because obviously there are people within this organization close to Rex Singfeld and there's suspicion there. But there's a practical question, too. If the city and the county become one, it seems like the county property taxes could pay for some of the things that the earnings tax pay for. Theoretically, not yeah. everything. Yeah. Now, yeah. do you think that that should be part of the discussion as it, well? It absolutely has to be part of the discussion. Think about this. St. Louis, St. Louis County has a tax that helps to fund their health department, right? It's specific targeted. We don't have that. So, so all of those things have to be put on the table, especially the earnings tax, because I think the earnings tax certainly would be in jeopardy mm-hmm. with us. 
Do you think would that be a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion? Oh, it'd be a good thing to have those discussions. It'll be it'll be a good thing that that uh, that 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 information is put out there so that the people understand and they can key in and say, okay, you know, all of this stuff can be impact, impacted down the road. Uh, and you know what we see happening now is that that's not part of the discussion at all. So it's, it'd be good if we can begin to let people know that that is part of it. Can I make sure, sure that Absolutely. one other thing I want to put out there? Sure. The thing that, one of the things that troubles me about the city-county merger, and I, you know, I'm going out on a limb. I'm sure I'm going to get attacked by all three of you when I say this one. <laughs> but, you know, this idea that we do a city-county merger, and now all of a sudden we can water down our crime statistics. Look how great we're doing. Now we don't look so bad. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like, you know, having, you know, a terminal illness and, and, and instead of, you know, or not a terminal illness, but, but having the flu mm-hmm. and, and buying, you know, and you're having a choice between getting a new pair of shoes or buying the medicine to make sure that you medicate. Well, that's right. a commonly – there's been a wide criticism of that for that very reason, i.e., yeah. merging the crime statistics because even though it might change the math, it doesn't change, change the reality. The, yeah, exactly right. However, on the other hand, and I'm not arguing – uh, for against that, but when you're comparing with other cities, I mean, I mean, St. Louis and Baltimore are the only two that have this situation where the city's not part of the county, so it's actually skewed statistics when you're comparing them to other cities. I mean, Indianapolis, for example, their city and county are one and the same, and and part of suburban Indianapolis used to be, and I think still is, farmland. So I mean, so their so their statistics are going to be different than. Ours. I mean, so one uh, one could say that that well, whatever you need to do, it needs to be comparing apples, apples and apples. apples. Yeah, and when you when we do that, if you take a look at cities that are similar sizes as us, right? And I've done this, you know, a couple of years ago. When you look at those cities and you look at on a per capita basis, and you take a look at and and you'll find out how how out out of whack our numbers are and our numbers are out of whack when we compare to very similar cities with very similar makeup and not some of the ones that you know obviously wouldn't wouldn't be good comparisons but the thing that the thing that I want to make sure that we 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 get out there is is uh you know although it'll make our it can change our numbers at the end of the day it won't change some of the underlying things if you take a look at on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis just the per capita numbers within each within neighborhoods across the city of St. Louis some of our neighborhoods right have more crime within that neighborhood than than like the entire city of East St. Louis and mm-hmm. and and uh, and you know in other areas across the United States uh so we need to we need to we need to go in and find out what's structurally happening there. We know that we know that jobs make a difference. We know the economic situation makes a difference within those communities. Mm-hmm. Resources, uh, and it's really important that we begin to align these nonprofits and these resources that are available within our community and target some of these areas as hard as we can target them because ultimately it's going to help the people that live there and it's going to help uh it's going to help you know the cr- drive the crime rate down and everything else we know what makes a difference now one closing question before we are ushered out of here you're running for re-election in 2015 Absolutely. you announce it do you expect it to be contested this time 
Well, I, I would hope that it wouldn't, wouldn't be contested. Because it wasn't would, in 2011. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't in 2011. But I, I would think that, uh, you know, uh, with some of the things that are going on, I would think that Francis Lay would, would put somebody up. I would think that, you know, it, these things are like a boxing match. You're in the ring. You, you swing. You expect to get hit back. And if you don't expect to get swung back at, you shouldn't, like, literally, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. So I would not. You know, it, I would not begrudge him for doing that. That's probably what he is going to do, and it would it would be appropriate. Well, we have to get yeah. through the license collector yeah. battle first, yeah. and then yeah. we'll get to your yes. race. But, but, Mr. President, thank you very much for joining us today. Right. It was a pleasure and an honor for you to be here. Right. Thank um, you. For more of our stories, you can go to stlbeacon.org or stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Rachel at R. Lipman, two P's, two N's. You can follow Joe at, at J. Manis. It's J M A N N I E S. And you can follow the very tech savvy President Reed at Prez Reed. Now, thank you very much for joining us today. And until next time, so long.